This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I guess this is the start. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. Listen, Craig, every week for 100 years has done this podcast, but this is the first week that he's doing it as a homeowner. <laughs> You're right. That's true. <laughs> you ever thought about that? You ever stopped to think about that before you bought a house? That I would be do that I still would have to do my podcast. <laughs> Yeah, well, like you're bringing a new, you're a new person now. You're Craig Getting, homeowner. I am fundamentally changed. That is true. My DNA has been altered, mm-hmm. and and not because of any miracles of modern science. I mean, the fi- your financial <laughs> DNA has been altered. Yeah, significantly. This is gonna be <laughs> my favorite part of buying a house is the part where you write a check with all the money that you've ever had in the entire world, and then it's just gone. <laughs> And they don't provide you any security to take it to where you're supposed to go. Like, you have to get it there. Money money in that amount belongs in armored trucks. Yeah, it is, it is. There are two kinds of checks. There's the, like, fake kind of check where you just say you have the money. And then there's a big bunch of verification on the back end that then happens when you hand it over. And then there's the other, like, super check where they do all the checking up front and then they just give you a piece of paper where if you dropped it in the sewer, it would be pretty hard to get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Thankfully, none of that happened to us. Yes, mm-hmm. expect to hear in future episodes drips and drabs of uh, my new novel, Craig Buys a House. With his Craig Buys a we bought a, a We bought a house. It's we, like we bought a zoo, but it's a house. Yes, that's true. Welcome to mm-hmm. our book podcast. Um. Yeah, we read books on this here podcast, and we talk about them. And you get to listen, and sometimes you'll learn about our lives along the way. That's yeah. This how... has been really, and this has been really good so far. It has. I'm. I'm really happy with my. Really decisions. glad that Andrew said we have to do this as the intro. Um, mm-hmm. I read the book this week. I read Kwame Alexander's The Crossover, a book about basketball, a sport I've barely played. So. I my experience with basketball is I played one year of intramural basketball oh, in sick. sixth grade. I was terrible. Were at you it. a power forward? <laughs> I do not know what I, I was a nothing. I was a power nobody <laughs> because my main contribution to the game was like getting in like tug of war fights with some other kid about who's holding the basketball and then that was like a penalty for some reason Mm. and i didn't understand why because i was strong and i took the basketball away and it should have been my basketball (laughs) and then also i watched space jam and then i watched the uh the last dance the netflix michael jordan chicago bulls yes yes thing and for a couple weeks after that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is just like when Scotty Pippen made that <laughs> that, sh- that three-pointer right at the end of that game that time. Yes. But I, that, that faded pretty quick. America's favorite son, so, Scotty so Pippen. So that's, uh, that's my basketball experience. What's your basketball experience? My basketball experience. So we're talking about this book, The Crossover. It's about uh, two 12-year-old boys who play basketball. Their dad was a famous basketball player. We'll talk about the book in just a second. My experience with basketball, because we've got to talk about ourselves for 10 minutes first, is, um, yes, I watched the movie Space Jam. Um, I've seen the movie The Air Up There, starring Kevin Bacon. From 1994, <laughs> up where? Yeah, uh, in in where tall people are. He goes okay. to Kenya to recruit a tall man from a village in Kenya, and there's well, it's about as 1994 like, as you might expect. Yeah, no, that sounds like there's nothing about it that you'd need to update or put a disclaimer in front. Not of. A, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've seen Air Bud, of course. Uh, there ain't no rule that says a dog can't play basketball. I've only seen Airbud World Pup, so not the basketball sure. one, the soccer one. Uh, I've seen The Last Dance also, uh, Scotty Pippen Rules, and mm-hmm. I have not, I was trying to think of novels where I've encountered 
the sport basketball. The only surely there's some Matt Christopher something. Yes, um, though I mostly stuck to the baseball ones for him. Um, I'm the fairly... Obama book had basketball in. it. You're right. Yes, um, <laughs> he played basketball with all his buds to unwind while he was like deciding who lives in <laughs> it's true um the sherman lexi novel absolutely true diary part-time indian has a basketball in it but i was trying to i didn't can't really think of any others so like most of my sports story knowledge vis-a-vis basketball is going to come from the movie realm fair or not um but this for bo- the record includes Airbud and space jam yeah. and that's it <laughs> heck yeah heck yeah <laughs> uh but we should talk about alexander first we talk about his work and then we can get to this work andrew yeah i think he's he seems like i think he's a homeowner too i haven't i didn't verify <laughs> that but i feel like we need to talk about that now um Kwame alexander is born in 1968 he's a black american author and he described as he describes himself on his website he is a poet, educator, publisher, and New York Times bestselling author of 35 books. Um, he primarily writes novels and poetry and children's fiction. Um, his, and he got that. His interest in children's fiction comes from his parents, I think. They were both educators. His dad wrote uh, books himself, and then his mother was an English teacher. And he tells this story about uh, when he came home from college and told his parents he was going to be a poet like professionally. Oh, no. <laughs> And he says, and of course my dad laughed. He said, that will never work. And my mother was very supportive as mothers are. And I think that, you know, my father tells me now that he only said that to see if I was really serious, if I was going to, (laughs) if I was really going to stick to it. And of course I did. Um, That rules. Yeah. And then he's, his website. He's got the, you know, he's got the book jacket, like professional blurb, which I yes. just read a section of. He's also got a fun kid friendly bio. I love that bio. That is endearingly dorky. I think I would, I would describe it as, um, that one says he's written 35 books, three of them in a chair next to a fireplace at his neighborhood Panera bread. Your Panera has a fireplace. That sounds sick. Yeah. I've seen those. Mm. I've never been able to like stoke it or like roast a marshmallow or like thick slice of ham on it but no like i don't need to be able to like interact with a fireplace except to feel its heat i don't need sure. to be able to like get close enough to the fire to put something in it. <laughs> anybody's my, wondering, the, the neither of our houses that have fireplaces andrew <laughs> they can have fireplaces you can put one in your house mm. I, I don't know what the zoning requirements for that are but <laughs> yeah that's the thing you can do now you own a house yeah my writing career like it didn't start in a Panera Bread, but there was a lot of Panera Bread involved. But sure. I've only been in ones that were in like strip malls and then like regular malls, so no fireplace <laughs> included for whatever reason. He did uh, say in an interview with the Washington Post that when he was writing this novel, um, so someone asked him where he got some of his character names or his ideas from. He said, "When I was writing the crossover, I was sitting in Panera Bread listening to jazz music on Pandora. This song came on, and I really liked it. And I looked at the name of it, and it was called Filthy McNasty. And I thought this would be a grand nickname for one of my characters. And lo and behold, the main character of the book is nicknamed Filthy McNasty. That's quite a name. It's pretty quite dope. It's pretty dope. He also says in that kids-friendly bio." Uh, I decided I wanted to be a poet when I wrote a poem for a girl I liked in college. Later, she married me. Yay for poetry. (laughs) It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What else? So so this book, the crossover, was published in 2014. And uh, he it won a it won the Newberry Medal, which mm-hmm. he was very excited about, and he references multiple times on his website, <laughs> and also won the Coretta Scott King Award honor um, when he's answering the question about his favorite color on his website. He says it used to be olive drab, but now it's blueberry because it rhymes with Newberry. <laughs> and I, oh, is blueberry its own color? I'm not sure that I I don't know that I accept that. The premise you know, of that. He's but. a poet. He can do what he wants. <laughs> yeah. That's his thing. That's his thing. He plays with words, plays he does. with language. He stretches does. our imaginations. Mm-hmm. 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 Anything else so, that you got? N- not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean he is I, d- I do I like so we're gonna talk about this book. I yeah. what I know about it going in is that it is written in verse. Like it's a it's a it's told in poetry. It's like a novel, but poetry. Yeah. And um, he said he wrote it that way because he felt 
that, quote, poetry would mirror the energy, the movement, the pulse of a basketball game the best. I, I buy that. Um, so I, I guess we can use that as a springboard because as Kwame Alexander says himself, for him, the form comes before the story. So let's talk about the form and then talk about the story, if you will. Sure. There's a reference point he made, he made in another interview where he said, like, why does he use poetry and like writing stories for kids and, and things like that? And he said, you can't go from Shel Silverstein to Shakespeare. There has to be something in the middle, which like I that <laughs> I read that I was like, wow, that makes utter sense like it really it does and it's also like very capitalist <laughs> like i see <laughs> i see a gap in this market between shell silverstein and the barn i'm gonna fill it sure it's gonna be me <laughs> he does bring that up in the context of talking about when he fell off reading as a kid and then like what got him back into it but yes he's also identified a niche market that he could he could be in charge of so the form mm-hmm. of this book um, it's a narrative and poetry, like you've said. So, it, and it ranges in style. Like one of the first chapters, it's all like mm, almost exclusively like first person ish. So it is all from the voice of our main character, Josh, aka Filthy McNasty. It's his rhymes. It's his v- poetry. Even when maybe he's like sharing the words of other characters. Um. The the stuff that is capturing the basketball games is very, um, if, like, I don't even know what the word is for. It's like a visual poem. Like, the font changes sizes. The letters are spread across the page. He's using, you know, big adjectives and verbs around, like, slamming and dunking and stuff. And, like the word dunk might spill across the space, the page for emphasis kind of Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, there are also little, like for lack of a better word, like Zen koans, like little, um, basketball rules of wisdom that will pop up. So part of the, the macro is this related to the, the thing where he's like defining words periodically, or that's another thing. thing. That's another thing that he does. And and so I was just going to zoom out a sec where like the fact that it is this kind of free versey, um, narrative poem means that he gets a lot of, uh, different styles into the book and it, and he it allows him to mix up the rhythm of reading it because it isn't just the same style of verse the whole time so like you'll read a chapter that kind of drives the action and it's just free verse it's mostly just characters talking um, with rhythmic line breaks and stuff then you'll get this really musical um, visually imaginative basketball section then you'll get a seven line little like almost mantra for uh, like a life lesson, but expressed in basketball terms. Like mm-hmm. you got to be prepared for the rebound kind of thing. Um, and then you'll get these little moments that are like, it's a word and then a definition of that word. And then you'll get a series of as ins. So the, one of the first ones you encounter is crossover noun, a simple basketball move in which a player dribbles the ball quickly from one hand to the other. As in, when done right, a crossover can break an opponent's ankles. As in, Deron Williams' crossover is nice, but Allen Iverson's crossover was so deadly he could set up uh, his own podiatry practice. As in, dad taught me how to give a soft cross first to see if your opponent fails for, falls for it, then hit him with the hard crossover. And that's like that's an early one that doesn't dive too deep, but most of them have that like three or four as in structure where mm-hmm. usually Josh starts at like he is unpacking a word from a previous scene. So like his dad's health is not great in this book and we get one on hypertension. You get the strict definition of hypertension and then you get kind of this like funneling down to the emotional question or core of how Josh is experiencing the word. And so it's this neat way for Alexander to like not have to advance the story, but give you a little breather and shed light on how Josh is processing like what just happened or what is just about to happen. And it's also all woven into the fact that like Josh is in addition to being sick at basketball, like his twin brother, (laughs) JB, um, mm-hmm. He is also like into reading and and really likes words and like 
his success at school is never in question. I was kind of really su- pleasantly surprised with a middle school sports story that wasn't balancing the like, well, you got to be good at school to keep playing basketball. I'm so used to the like jocks don't like school narrative yeah, that right, Saved like, by the Bell fed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to have a to have a book where athletics and academics can exist not in opposition to each other, which runs counter to like a good half century of popular media about yeah. schools, I think. And and really isn't making bones about them being in contention either. Like it's just an accepted fact of who this character is, which is kind of neat. Because a lot of people are just like they're good at basketball in high school, but they're also just playing basketball in high school. And yeah. that's like that's where their involvement in the sport is going to drop out. For like, sure. <laughs> um and so there are other forms that you encounter that are more like dialogue scenes. There are scenes where you might get some text messages um there's a really good text message exchange later in the book uh where his mom is texting him his dad has been has left the game because he wasn't feeling well he went home um his mom texts him i shouldn't have said i think he's fine just tired he says don't come home line break new text if you lose lol (laughs) like and it's just a good like was that a joke was it I hit send early? Like, it's just a fun, I don't know. There's lots of little ways that Alexander can acknowledge contemporary speech and communication through this format that mm-hmm. he is admittedly, like, trying to write to excite middle school age kids about reading and about characters like themselves being in books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one of the tools that he has to do that. Yeah, I guess I haven't seen, like texting as a medium like broken down in in literature very much and and a lot of that's just because the books that i've like those are not the books that we're typically reading for the show and that's what most of my reading is i like in tv shows we've mostly settled on some version of stylized floating text over one of the characters like emoting and moving their thumbs on their phone, which, yes. which works. It definitely works. And but everyone has yeah. their sound on so you can hear them typing. It's a nightmare. Everybody has their sound on. Nobody uses a passcode. Everybody goes <laughs> to bed and they put their phone on the bedside table without plugging it in. It's <laughs> like it drives me up the What wall. are people doing? <laughs> um, most of my experience reading text messages is actually in like the last 20 or 30 years of plays trying to describe how digital communication works which is usually just hey can we get a projector we'll just put it on the wall we'll yeah, just right. put it we'll put it on the wall and they'll just stand there um plenty of people which have, is the tv which is the play version of the tv thing yeah. i just described people have done other things more interestingly but th- this was fun especially because a lot of the the text message chapters that do come in are often only one-sided it's usually when um Josh is reading back messages he got while he was playing a game or like he's ignoring someone's text messages. So it's not the the kind of back and forth um, thing that I think would make it feel like a little dated uh, in a few years. This feels yeah, like an interesting sure. way to handle that. Um, so those are like a couple of the, of the different styles that he can that he achieves. And like I said earlier, the fact that he has such a versatile tool set means that he doesn't get stuck in one mode for very long um, that he can, you know, he can treat the different parts of the book the way they need to be treated without like shoehorning it into one style. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like he just said like, well, let me do rhyming couplets like Shakespeare or something. And that's, that's basketball. This is poem. basketball book Shelby and I am big <laughs> pentameter. <laughs> Do you have any specific questions? Singing me, oh, muse of the ballers who were sick. (laughs) Tell me about a complicated forward. Um, (laughs) So what do you know, what do you expect from a sports story, Andrew? What types of things do you expect are going to be in there coming in? Typically, most of the sports stories that I have consumed are about teams rather than about like individuals specifically. So you got your like Friday night lights and mm-hmm. your like uh, your Ted lassos to pick a more like recent example. And it's, it's usually about some scrappy underdog team 
that does unexpectedly well when they learn to like relate to each other as humans or something. Yes. <laughs> like, some some coach or somebody sweeps in and with his his inevitably it's a dude with his grit and humanity but surprising those, heart yes teach, yeah teaches those boys how to how to do their best sure um, so not a lot of individual like my understanding is that this focuses on mostly on the brothers so yeah that's probably the first thing where i am where it's going to depart from my experience with the genre yeah this is not an ensemble based for for it being about a team sport you know basketball certainly um, as I learned from the documentary, The Last Dance, uh, basketball certainly has like the ability for like one or two players to dominate how a team works and like yeah. really be the focal point. Um, and so this is a story about two twin brothers who are both they're 12 years old. Uh, as I said, Josh, a.k.a. Field the McNasty and his brother, J.B. Uh, Jordan is his first name. Michael Jordan's his favorite player. Um, and they are both just sick as heck at basketball. They are amazing. Um, they, the like running basketball plot is that the team that they're playing for is gonna wind up going to the county championships. It is not a given at the beginning of the book, but it is clear that they are that good. And as time, uh, moves forward, like the, the big game that does happen is the county championship and i think (laughs) i think at one point uh josh is named in the local paper as like the mvp of the team or something like that once you get past high school like how many competitive anythings really take the county level into (laughs) consideration i feel like it's high school sports and like science fair and then after that you've got to think bigger (laughs) i think like maybe agricultural fairs like that's a county sure. thing, sure. Um, but no, I feel like that's a level of municipality that we age out of in competition. <laughs> yeah, like I don't really think about counties that much because I happen like we live in Philadelphia County, which guess what is mostly the same as the city, city of Philadelphia. <laughs> so <laughs> don't really have to think about it that much. No, yeah, I don't know if like if you and I were on a really cool intramural dodgeball team. Like, and we won the Philadelphia Sports League championship. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's somewhere else for us to go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the national dodgeball scene is like. (laughs) I mean, I've seen that movie. That's that's a true underdog story. (laughs) Tell me more about this basketball. (laughs) Or do you want a question for me? I have have a question about it's, it's... the time of its publication and like how the, the, I don't know, whatever worldview it is that you pick up through it. Oh, um, so I was just going to add, cause this came up yep. a little bit in the New York times review, which was published in 2014, which talked about it being like a book where race is a factor, but it also happens during the Obama administration. And so if you're writing this in 2014, maybe you still have some like wisps of post-racial something happening. <laughs> Huh. Where you're like the world is different now. I guess my question is like, it was published in 2014. In a lot of media, like TV is the one I have the most experience with. But in a lot of media, like the first half of that decade, in the last few years of that decade, feel like they're dramatically different because they kind of are. And so I was wondering if like the 2014ness of it came through in any way that happened to strike you. That's interesting. Um, the there are a few things in it that couldn't help but ping my twenty twenty one brain, and I I don't know enough to ascribe to you know Alexander what his intentions were there. So I'll just mention them. Yeah, this is purely a uh, a conversation starter. Yeah, and not necessarily a thing to like interrogate what Alexander <laughs> is like meant to do or what he was doing at the time or what he would do differently now. That. Yeah, so the the uh the Bells, Josh and Jordan and uh their parents, um they're a black family and they live in America. So there's a point where one of the games that they're going to uh 
Josh is in the car with his dad. His dad is a former basketball player who was pro, who was really good and like won two championships in a European league. But then kind of as he was getting ready to break into the NBA, he had some injuries, never elected to get surgery. And because he had a history of injuries without treatment, they his in his invitations to like try out to the Lakers were declined, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll circle back on that in a second, but he was, you know, pretty well known and things like that. So when a cop pulls them over for a busted taillight, they are late for a basketball game. Uh, I think it's, you know, early. It's not, they're not in like the playoffs or anything yet, but um, there's tension from Josh's point of view where he's like, man, I really hope my dad doesn't get arrested. His dad doesn't have ID on him. Ultimately, the cop lets him go after like Googling him and being like, oh, yeah, you are that basketball player I like. Can I get an autograph? Which is its Mm -hmm. own kind of whole thing. Reading that now, it certainly feels informed by what we know about police violence against black and brown people in America. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, But would it maybe have a more specific edge if it were written post-Ferguson? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, the there is a like a very warm nuclear family at the heart of this book that Alexander I think is deliberately saying like this was my life growing up. Like this is my story. It might be the story of a kid reading this book. It might not be the story of a kid reading this book, and it might not be the story that a lot of people are used to seeing about black characters and about black yeah. kids. Yeah, because he definitely talks about his parents in interviews as like working professionals and and you know that that is a certain type of of experience. Yeah. Um and and also uh every review of the book that I read did mention like the family dynamic. So I would want to like beyond just the relationship between the the brothers and and whatever, I'd like to dig into that wherever you think is interesting. Yeah. So the the thing with his parents, the main conflict there gets to the other part of your previous question I'll just mention briefly, which is the dad's ongoing plot line, and it's woven into the story into the brothers also, but he is developing heart issues. He's only 39 and he has hypertension. And later in the book, he suffers a heart attack and things go bad from there. So you can you can presume where the book might be going about halfway through on that front. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of reticence from uh, Dumb Man, as their dad's nickname is, <laughs> um, All right. about getting actual treatment from a doctor. And his wife, uh, their mother, um, who's also the assistant principal at their school, um, she is like, hey, you, you know, your, your dad... Uh, needed treatment and didn't get it. And his response is, yeah, my dad was alive before he went to the hospital. And it does tap into, I think, a a distrust of the medical establishment that like a lot of different people share, but is also certainly uh, borne out that there are very good reasons why black folks in this country don't trust elements of the medical establishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not, again, it's like not naming those things as like big issues to talk about. It's like, this is a person who feels this way, who has lived experience that leads them to these conclusions. Um, it's not a like pedantic book. And some of that may be because of the style actually like cuts all of that off at the pass. I think, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's the other part of your first your first question that I was thinking about. So their dynamic, guess, though, like, go ahead. Sorry, I just like I, I guess in some ways, like us reading like you and I as two white men yep. reading it in 2021, maybe, maybe some of the impact of the time that has passed. Yeah. Is that you and I can identify the wider mm, mm-hmm, like, possibly. like the, the bigger issues that might be behind one person's distrust of the medical establishment without needing somebody to like explicitly spell it out for yes I, de- I don't know I not, not to say like not to not to do a thing or like oh look how enlightened we are no. here in 2021 <laughs> versus how we would have been in 2014 but <laughs> i feel very lucky to have been educated on that in the past yes. yeah, yeah, seven yeah, yeah, years yeah. let's say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um there the parents dynamic is 
kind of great though over the course of the book like obviously they're in conflict over the dad getting medical treatment every scene that they have that is josh like listening to them argue through a door which is usually how he gets info on his dad's health that he doesn't have access to Uh it does like dialogue back and forth um and then let me just find the quote that I pulled. So, and it starts to sound like pretty heated and angry. And then uh, the dad will say something like, yeah, but I, you know, you know what I am crazy about you or something, or like, you know what doctor, <laughs> his mom has like a doctorate in education. So he's like, you know what doctor I need. And then uh, Josh will say, and then there is silence. So I put the pillow over my head because when they stop talking, I know what that means. Ugh. And it reminds Ugh. me of the early seasons of Boy Meets World when the parents were super horny and mm-hmm. like scenes would end and the dad was like, won't go upstairs. And it was like, I remember watching those a couple years ago. It's like the first season, there was a lot of like, Hey, the parents are going to parental boinking, um, which was funny when I looked this book up on Common Sense Media, that website (laughs) that is like talking about, you know, what young uh, readers and experiencers of entertainment can expect. Our our friend uh, Catherine Van Arendonk has, has written some very good stuff about Common Sense Media and like where it came from, because it does just seem to exist. Yes. Without any particular ideology which is kind of its ideology anyway go for it um the but what's fun about the comments on the media page which is pretty complimentary of the book overall um and really likes it you can go to the comments where parents say and it'll be like you know (laughs) give it stars and the the first two on there are like one or two star reviews that are like there's too much sex in this book like you can you can talk about these issues without put in so much sex there's not that much sex in this book there's like the brother so one of the conflicts that the brothers have is that like jordan gets interested in a girl and there's a scene where josh can't sleep because jordan is on the phone with her and he calls her the apple of his eye but also he wants to like peel off her skin and take a bite which is corny as hell (laughs) and one of these parents is like that's gross Wait, hold on. I'm just gonna. I just need to like write that. <laughs> yeah, just write file that, that away. Down real quick, so it's just like apple skin, gross. Yeah. Okay, good. But good. then you can go to the kids say comments, and the top comment is this teen who's 17 years old, and it says five stars. Y'all are Karens. This book is good for 10 and up. Sixth grade is reading this book in class, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just the the way that stuff like sex and and budding sexuality is treated in this book is like really not heavy handed and just feels very true to what it was to be 12. While also everyone in this book is a good person like there's not a there's no conflict in this book that is driven by someone being like overly malicious in a way that is other than like a scene where someone is eventually going to learn a lesson about why they shouldn't act so impulsively. Like Mm -hmm. it is a very, it is grounded in a universe where people are basically good Mm -hmm. as a book overall. Well, like a lot of the time that sort of content that the parents are complaining about in the, in the common sense media comments in the reviews are like, if I, if, a lot of 10 year olds reading that actually aren't going to know what it means. No, when they stop talking and you put the pillow over your ears. Like that's just going to fly over their heads. Yes. And maybe you just can't envision what it's like to not know what it is that they're talking about. Alexander is an award-winning poet. He doesn't need to end that chapter with, yeah, they were boning. Like he has a lot of, yeah, he does just play like slap bass and smoky jazz. Like, yeah. And then they started playing Barry White. And these were the lyrics of, this was the lyrics of the Barry White song they were listening to. I love that Barry White song about eating an apple. And then I looked it up on Wikipedia and that's what, this, it had all kinds of facts about Barry White. (laughs) Um, I want to get into the dynamic of the two, of the two boys because we've kind of haven't really hit on that too much. Um, Aside from the fact that, yes, they are both sick as hell at basketball. Um, They are twins. And there's some fun twin stuff in this book that I think, like, at times, it's not it's not a book of, 
I don't know. It's not twins feels like a means to an end to express like a close fraternal relationship. Um, even though Alexander gets like one or two fun scenes out of the twinness one mm-hmm. where like Josh is playing Cyrano for Jordan over the phone and like talking to the girl that he's interested in as if he's Jordan um, to like help him out. And like, that's a fun scene because she hasn't learned to tell them apart just yet, which is kind of mm-hmm. funny, but um, you know, like even stuff from the beginning about how to differentiate yourself from your brother, who's also your twin where like Josh has grown out dreadlocks because he saw this cool video of his dad back in the day. And Jordan keeps his head like shaved super bald because he loves Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> and they Is this taking place like contemporaneously with one and one of them published. It's not like a period piece of no, it does not appear to be a period okay. piece. Like kids are texting each other. They're playing Madden or whatever. I mean, Madden's been around a long time, but they're, you know, they're, it seems modern in all ways that you would yeah, expect. Just because one thing I, I don't know, one thing The Last Dance didn't teach me is what a like high schooler's experience of Michael Jordan would be in 2014. Because I know he's still got a very extensive branding operation. Yes, he does. Yeah, and there would be a lot of cultural osmosis and stuff. Um, so there. there's at least uh, a few references to Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Chris Paul, all of whom are contemporary basketball players. So... Writ, you know, around the time it was written. Um, but the the boys are both very good at basketball. They have different roles on the team, and they're elevating this team to major success. Uh, a new girl who does also play basketball herself, though we don't really ever get to see her play, um, shows up, and she is driving them crazy. Uh, Jordan gets <laughs> very interested in her. Um and she becomes kind of a wedge issue for the boys. But again, it's all through Josh's perspective. So what he is experiencing, and I don't know if you ever experienced some of this in middle school. I certainly did. Where like a really close friend of yours or someone you know very well gets interested in someone and starts spending all their time with that person. And then you're just like, but I don't, I don't have girlfriend. I don't have partner. <laughs> sure. What is something wrong with me? And you lose your ability to relate to that person. And so the context of them being twins makes that like extra painful for Josh and he doesn't know what to do with it. Um, but that is the art, the arc of the book for them is like, Hey, they're at this, you know, preteen part in their lives where stuff is really going to start changing pretty rapidly. And there are people who are, you know, copies of each other who have been so tight for so long. Mm-hmm. How do they handle a growing apart and how do they learn to grow back together when they need to, um, it really comes to a head where after several chapters of like worrying about his dad's health and his brother never being around during the middle of a game, uh, Jordan asks for a pass and Josh just throws the ball in his face and like busts open his nose. Oh, and that God. is a big okay. no, no. <laughs> and he gets suspended from the team for a period of time and he has to kind of learn how to get back into his brother's good graces and it's it's very like it's very compelling because he instantly feels remorse for it like he knows that it's wrong it isn't a like and now i'm going to continue torturing my brother for making me sad um yeah we've we've all done that and and there's a specific sibling flavor of wow i really shouldn't have thrown the remote control at my sister (laughs) yes wow actions can't be taken back Huh. And this in in this in this gap of time between when I have done this thing and when a parent comes, I am going to stop and think about what I did and feel worse than any parent could ever make <laughs> me feel about it. But mostly because I'm gonna get yelled at. Like not not necessarily because I feel bad about the thing I did, but like boy, I wish they weren't gonna tell mom and dad. Yeah. Boy oh boy. Oh man. It's like this mix of that didn't go that was that went worse than I thought it was gonna go, and also, oh no, mom and dad, <laughs> oh no, yeah, just thinking back to when one of my sisters you were the baby by quite a bit, yeah. so I don't know, like I didn't get a lot of that, I didn't yeah and and by the I was never 
I don't think I was one to act out that way, though maybe some people mm. might correct correct the record. Your mom just thinks you're a perfect little baby, little perfect baby Craig. Never did anything wrong I in did, 35 well, years on this earth. No, I mean, the one time I did draw, I did just doodle on the wall with a pen once, like just because. Everybody did that. But that, I mean, that was one of those like, wow, I guess that was a bad thing to do, huh? <laughs> I guess I am in trouble now. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Whoopsie doodle. But yes, as as the oldest and also the biggest and strongest, <laughs> unfortunately, the most dominant I sibling often was more aggressive than mm. I thought I was going to be relative to my smaller and younger sibling. Mm-hmm. 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 That checks out. Yeah. It just happens. Um, Everybody's fine now, basically. <laughs> We're all here. So, yeah, the book is really, I would say, like, Josh as a narrator is really compelling and charming. He's a really likable kid um, who does not get everything right. And so then when it builds to the the climax of his dad's health situation, which does involve him and his dad, like, you know, doing some one-on-one warm-up on the court and then it escalating to a part where his dad has, like, a heart episode mm-hmm. um you get that mix that really powerful potent mix of him feeling like he is at fault like he if he hadn't been like playing the way he'd been playing it wouldn't have hurt his dad but also yeah, he's MVP. angry that his dad who you know gave up on his pro career early and has been spending the last few years just kind of like living off some decent investments as well as like raising the two boys while his wife uh, works at the school. Um, like his desire to get back in the game and maybe start coaching uh, pushed him, and so maybe he's to blame. But also, he, uh, Josh wouldn't have acted that way if he weren't so worked up about his brother. Like it's just a really compelling little bit of introspection in one chapter. I think about two thirds or three quarters of the way through. And like all of that is overlaid with this, like, how are these who which of these boys are going to be playing and on the team and responsible for when this team inevitably wins the championship, which you can tell (laughs) because they are superheroes at basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like the most the team struggles is when like one or either of them is not able to play or when like there's at least one game where both of them don't play. Um, And it's just like. You know, and then the end of the book is not even about the basketball game at all. It is about them as a family coming together and and learning to push forward. Um, I didn't mention it does the the kind of cute thing which I've seen other media mirroring sports do, where like the first part of the book is warm up, and then there's like first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, and then overtime. Um, so like. I think if you are a kid who likes basketball, there's a bunch of stuff here for you. If you're a kid who likes reading, you'll like come out of it being like, "Yo, basketball!" Like I think I think Alexander has done a pretty good job putting stuff there for different kids who are going to come. It to can the book. it can trick both demographics. Yes, certainly. <laughs> hey, you you lit kids, you accidentally learned something about basketball. Hey, you basketball kids, you accidentally learned a poetry. Accidentally learned a poetry, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, he did say, there was an interview he gave with the NEA um, where he talked about like portraying this family. And so the first quote is, you know, what motivates his writing. To be authentic and tell my story, I was a black boy who laughed, had crushes, cried, played, felt, had friendships that were troubling, ate dinner with my family each evening. I want my writing to be a mirror for kids who look like me and a window for kids to look at a different life and recognize it as very much like their own. Um, And he goes on to share a story about a librarian who asked him if the boys were black. And she said that she was giving a talk and that the students were going to ask. And he, he said, I told her I was sure they wouldn't. But if they did, call me back. They didn't. They didn't care. 
And that's why we need more diverse books, he says. When kids regularly read about characters from different backgrounds or races or countries, the shared humanity of the characters becomes more important than anything else. Um, so to your uh, your question from like 20 minutes ago, Andrew, I do think that maybe a different author or I don't I have not read any of Alexander's recent work. Like maybe he would address the the boys uh, background slightly differently um sure. in terms of representation here in 2020 2021 um or he'd stick to his guns and and be pretty straightforward and, and address it the way that he did um i don't know yeah any other questions based on like interviews that you read or basketball questions because i'm an expert no i i i learned what a crossover wow. is by reading this book <laughs> You couldn't even joke for our jokey, dumb <laughs> ebook podcast that you are an expert at basketball. Like, that's how far from expertise you are, which is fine. I know it's what a fine. fader is. Like a haircut? No. Mm. It's a jump shot where you fade away. You just disappear <laughs> like a ghost? <laughs> you jump kind of backwards, like away mm-hmm. from the defender? Mm-hmm. I just, I like... It's... When you're a ghost and shooting a basketball in that exact way concludes your unfinished business upon this earth and you disappear. (laughs) I had a debt to be paid and it was a three-pointer. Yeah. I had to win the big game to get revenge for this kid whose dad killed my dad. Oh my God. Andrew hit the buzzer beater and then he disappeared. I'm going to write a good ghost basketball book. Ghost basketball? Yeah. Man, oh, there! I do just have a struck me funny real quick that maybe will take us out. Um, one of the subplots is that their mom is making them eat healthier because of their dad's heart issues, <laughs> and there's a really like there's a touching scene where she really levels with Josh about the situation, which is interesting because you never see those happen with Jordan. So the readers, the impact on the reader is that like Jordan is not privy to or interested in some of this information. Maybe because he's spending all the time with his girlfriend or he just doesn't have the same relationship with his parents. Who knows? Um, so that's like an interesting effect. But Josh and his mom are hanging out and she's talking about how they're going to like eat a bunch of healthier food now. And like later he's complaining about like tofu salad or whatever. But when <laughs> she's offering him like carrots and hummus and his response is like, is hummus like the answer here? <laughs> like he's so <laughs> angry that he's being forced to eat hummus mm. when like. Maybe there are some more dramatic steps we could take to save my dad. <laughs> um, it's cool. There's a lot of just the 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 humor in this book is on point without being like, yo, this is a book of jokes. Like there's it just has a good wit to it. Um, sure. And I love I love a book that's just like, yo, kids play video games. That's my own personal hobby horse. <laughs> sure. It's just a part of life. Kids are going to mm-hmm. play Madden. It's cool. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Let them do whatever. Just don't let them spend your money on Fortnite V-Bucks. Yeah, no, you got to have the parental controls locked down on that stuff. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, because the uh, return policies are not uh, not forgiving. Yeah. So so now that we are both uh, basketball boys, Andrew, I'll see you out at the top of the key. Yeah. Uh, foul. Three pointer, charging the this, lane. This episode, this episode is a three pointer. I'm gonna pick and roll to the outro. Send us an email uh, about your favorite basketball triangle strategy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, send us an email about your favorite basketballs to about your favorite shape related basketball strategy overduepod at gmail.com hit us up on facebook or twitter with your favorite clips from the hit documentary the last dance twitter.com slash overduepod and facebook.com slash overduepod thanks anna carrie mario evan juliana robert sutherland gloria courtney and others for reaching out to us this week and spreading the word about the show andrew i will tell you that our theme song is composed by nick larandris but now you tell us about the website the website's overduepodcast.com up there we have links to apple and google and uh our rss feed we are also on spotify and stitcher and anywhere you get podcasts uh, we have a Patreon project, patreon.com slash overdue pod. 
Subscribe to that and you can get bonus episodes like our recent Q&A episode early. You can also get early access to our long read projects right now. We are doing one called Jagged Little Mill, where Craig and I read the the Edith Grossman translation of Miguel de Cervantes' Don Quixote. It's been quite a time so far. Yep. Uh, those of you who do not subscribe, that's we don't hold it against you at all. You will hear the first episode of Jagged Little Mill later this month, I believe. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Andrew, what are we talking about next week? I am reading uh, what, The Pale Horse by Piers Anthony. On a pale On horse. On a pale horse, of yeah. a pale horse. Uh, first in the Incantations of Immortality series, we will certainly be talking about reasons why people might not want to read Piers Anthony, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, won't hold that against you. What is it about Piers's? <laughs> what is it about? We'll get to the bottom of the question. What is it about Piers's? We're going we're to talk a lot about yes. What what's the deal with Piers's? Yeah, tune in. And if you want to know, if you want to know what's the deal with a lot of things, you can go also listen to Craig's side piece podcast, Seinfeld Triple X at Seinfeld Rocks. Yeah, where he and our friend Chris talk about every episode of Seinfeld on the 30th anniversary of its air date. <laughs> They will be picking up season two again soon. Andrew's an executive producer on this podcast, so he's yes. He's I, I provide it. editorial oversight. Um, if you caught Andrew's reference to the to the work of Dr. Catherine Van Arendonk, you can listen to more of what she says on Appointment Television, which Andrew is also on. I wasn't asking for like that. Seinfeld Triple X needs it, you know. Like well, that's <laughs> true. We're a fledgling podcast, but I I feel bad. You're <laughs> pimping my stuff. I want to pimp your stuff. Yeah, let's just, just pimp everything. Just because I've never heard of this with. podcast that you're on. Mm, sure. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening to this one, I this podcast. Yeah, you're a homeowner. Good job, idiot. What do um, I do? And tweet at Craig about his uh, like his debt and like new, like I don't know, interest and stuff, like all the good homeowner stuff. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. I guess that would that be the prequel to We Bought a Zoo? Like, did they buy a house first? I haven't seen that. No, movie. it's the sequel because the zoo probably, I don't know, maybe the zoo doesn't work out after the first movie. Oh, so they, okay. Sure. They've downsized. <laughs> Sad. Mm. No, they, I mean, all, all animals are fine. It's just they couldn't the, afford I mean, it. <laughs> we bought a terrarium. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>